This January, over 750 OA members gathered in Los Angeles for OA's 50th birthday party. Events included keynote speakers, multiple long-timer panels, workshops, a big book boot camp, and even an appearance by Roseanne S. If you'd like CDs or MP3s of any or all of these sessions, go to oa50th.org and then follow the link to the recordings. That's oa50th, oa50th.org. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Allison. Hi, my name is Allison. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you for that lyrical introduction. That was just lovely. My name is Allison. I'm a compulsive overeater. Greetings from the San Fernando Valley. And I feel like that lady on Romper Room, you know, with the mirror. It's like, oh, I see all my friends here. Like, this is where you hang out. This is really nice. I see so many familiar faces. And I went, hi. So, um, congratulations to the chip takers. Welcome, welcome to the newcomers, and happy birthday to our birthday folks. I would have liked to have heard a little bit more about vomiting in dirty places. That is my kind of entertainment. (laughs) So I have a few little adventures of myself that I'll try and share. I don't know if anybody can relate. It's been my experience here that the dirtier I get, um, the more people laugh. That's kind of odd. It's kind of funny because this program allows me to see just how very selfish I am. And so when I come in and I talk about how really selfish I am, people laugh at that. It's like we all have that common bondage of selfishness. And, you know, what do you do but laugh at that? I, the other night, my husband and I was, I was watching Tabitha's, you know, salon makeover in our bedroom, just me and the dog. And my husband came into bed early, and he's getting into bed, and he's creaking and groaning, and he's like, and I just finally said to him, you're breathing too hard, I can't hear Tabitha. <laughs> it's so selfish. But he, you know, bless his heart, he's been married, to, and, and he understands. He's like, well, there's a gun in the closet, why don't you just shoot me? <laughs> That's how selfish I am, you know, it's like, he's making way too much noise. For me, I'm trying to watch Tabitha. (laughs) And I didn't eat, so that's the good news. So, um, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I have um, five and a half years of abstinence. I am maintaining a weight loss of over 100 pounds. I stuck my pictures underneath my bag right there. If you could pass those around. Those were pretty recent before I came into program. My experience was that I, before I walked into these rooms, never, ever had a solution. I had a bag of tricks, but they weren't the solution. And my overeating started for me at a very young age. You know, I I feel bad for today's youth because everybody just kind of sits on their butt and watches TV and computer, and it wasn't like that. You know, my mom, she didn't want to have any part of us kids, so we'd come home from school. She'd, like, make us change our clothes and go outside until the sun comes down. And so that's kind of what we did. I think, I, you know, I was active. So I, I wasn't really a fat kid. I was a chubby kid, and I always felt very chubby. And I always wanted to isolate. I really couldn't do that until I learned how to, you know, kind of sneak into places and bring books and 
food with me, and, and I learned that pretty young. When I got into, um, you know, I see pictures now of when I was like, you know, 11, 12, 13, I felt really big. And my, um, I mean, my mom wasn't very big, and so I always felt really big when I went shopping with her. I, you know, she, so people thought I was fat. People called me fat. There weren't a lot of fat people when I was a kid, you know, and I was one of the chubby ones. And so anyway, I, um, so I looked back at pictures, it wasn't that bad, you know, I was maybe, I was a big kid, but it was nothing compared to where I went in my adulthood, but I went into junior high school feeling like a fat kid, and um, my experience was I just loved sweets, I loved um, cookies and cakes, and we lived near, you know, Dale Bakeries, and my mom would, you know, she'd stock up, we had three kids, I was one of three, and I just found a way to eat our food, to eat everybody's food, to steal money, to go to the store, to buy to buy candy, um, I, you know, would steal money from my brother and then buy candy for all our friends, because, and that was a lifelong habit, too, is I would have everybody over to eat with me, um, there is no social vomiting, that's true, but there was a lot of social eating, and that, that's kind of how I did it, and I just kept on extra weight when I was a kid, and when I got into junior high school, I discovered um, speed. That was a big part of my story, too, and I just put that out there. I know when I walked into these rooms, I was really ashamed of that component, that it wasn't just about eating, but I also um, did a lot of speed, and I learned about whites when I was in junior high school, and I was just so grateful to find a solution that I didn't want to eat all the time. Like, I didn't understand that I had this insatiable obsession to eat all the time. Like, I was too young to understand what that was, that burden on my back. All I knew was that I was fat, and all I knew is that boys didn't want to be a part of me, and all I knew is that my mother just, like, looked down her nose at me, and that's what I thought. That's what I thought. You know, I learned in here, too, that what I think is screwed up, period, out of the box. So um, that just began a lifetime pattern of how I managed my weight, and I didn't know any other way. When I was in junior high, when I went to high school, um, still with the whites, I think probably sometime near the end of high school, I got a doctor's, well, I'd go and get doctor's prescriptions for speed, and then, this is in the day, black beauties, I got those too, and then, you know, into college, (laughs) right? Those are the black ones, and then they stopped making those, but I found a doctor who gave, not the 20, but the 10, and so I would just take two of those, and then I, you know, I, I just would take those and take those and take those until I was so thin that my family or somebody would have an intervention and say, you are too thin. And so I would go off those and I'd go, okay, that's fine, and my weight would go back up. And then I'd be so desperate that I'd go and find some kind of a drug to take my weight down, and I went into... Um, Cocaine, of course, this is in the 70s. It was very, there was a lot of social cocaine. And there was, um, you know, that was, and I'm, you know what, I realize I have a, I have a cold, really, it's a cold. It's not, it's not. <laughs> I was tore up. But, uh, and then, you know what, it was a good time, I gotta say. It was like the 70s, and it was disco, and it was, I was all that. So, that's just my experience. So, um, my kids are really enjoying hearing stories about me right about now, about those days, those golden days. So, um, 
that was my experience. It was cocaine, and then it got pretty ugly and pretty seedy, and I would do meth, and I would do whatever I could find just to maintain my weight. And I don't mean, you know, like a 10-pound zone. I would go up, and I would go down, 100 pounds, 50 pounds, 70 pounds. I did not know how to maintain a healthy body weight. Like, I, I just didn't have any bootstraps. People would say, well, you know, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get a get a hold on it. I'm like, what does that mean? I didn't know what that meant. And I didn't know anything until I walked into these rooms. So I guess that's a pretty good picture. I mean, you can see the pictures moving around. One of those where I was sitting on a bench with my daughter, that was at 263 pounds. And that was the last I weighed before I went to the doctor, and, and he gave me Fen-Fen. And it's funny, he said, he said uh, yeah, I take these too. And it wasn't Fen-Fen, it was just Fen. Because other Fen was no good anymore, I guess. But the one Fen was fine. So I was taking Fen-Fine. I was taking Fen-Fine. And I was 45 years old. And my doctor even said, oh, yeah, I take these too. Excellent. Thumbs up. Excellent. He said, it just kind of takes off that, that edge of that insatiable, that insatiability. And I said, yeah, what is that? He said, I don't know. It's just an insatiability. I take the pill. I'm like, okay, I'll just take the pill. That was my answer. That was the only answer I had. When I took the pills, I ate very healthy food. Although, I would binge every now and again, and that's where my bulimia would kick in. I'm a laxative bulimic. I could, I'm not a vomiter. I can't do that. But, uh, so I'm not an alcoholic either. But anyway. <laughs> but I would take, you know, I would deliberately eat and, and kind of, I don't know, there's just that point, that click over where I would say, oh, I'm eating a lot tonight and I'm going to take four X-lax with a quart of water before I go to bed and, and then just, you know, in the morning all would be better. And that's how I lived my life. That was the way that I maintained my weight. So um, I guess that qualifies me to be here, right? I mean, I guess you might say I'm a compulsive overeater. And so, and that is how my life went. 45 years old, I'm a, com- I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm a middle-aged woman with an eating disorder and no clue of how to get better. I came to these rooms having no knowledge of a 12-step program. I know I have, I know a lot of people in these rooms who come through the various programs. I didn't have any experience at all. And my girlfriend, uh, I was taking Thin Fine, and my girlfriend, who was my Sherpa, said, you know, we got in touch for some reason. She'd been a binge buddy. She said, I'm down 60 pounds. Really? What? She said, nope, I'm not taking anything. I said, really? She said, nope, just eating whatever I want, and I'm down 60 pounds. It's a miracle. Wow. So I, I said, really? I said, okay, well, she said, so let's get together, and I'll tell you all about it. She wouldn't tell me about it over the phone. And so I said, okay. So I drove out to her house in Simi Valley, and that's um, up in Kern County, because you guys didn't know, Ventura County. I drove out to her house, and she looked fantastic, but it was 12 o'clock, and she was eating. She's like, it's 12 o'clock, it's time to eat. Wow. <laughs> that was so funny. I don't think that's so funny anymore. And uh, she was eating, can we talk about food here? Huh? Yeah. She was eating a sandwich and coleslaw. I'm like, that looks 
pretty good. She is eating whatever she wants. And she said that she was going to Overeaters Anonymous, and she said, I'd love for you to go to a meeting. It's changed my life, blah, 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 blah. The minute she said Overeaters Anonymous, it's like, you know, Charlie Brown's teacher. <laughs> I didn't hear any of it. And um, But she kept bugging me about it. She kept emailing me. And one day she emailed me, and she said, I, you know, I don't, I'll stop if you want me to stop. And she said, but it's our message, our primary purpose is to carry the message to compulsive overeaters who still suffer. And I saw that word suffer. And I didn't realize, I didn't realize I was suffering. And for whatever reason, I saw that word and I realized I'm suffering, you know, I'm in pain. And maybe that's a big deal. Maybe that's, um, if there's anything to relay about this is that I have a disease and I'm in pain. When I'm in my disease, I am in pain and I am suffering. I'm suffering in my head. I'm suffering in my heart. I'm suffering with my children. I'm suffering with my husband. I'm suffering at work. I'm suffering because I'm not the person I'm supposed to be. I'm doing everything I can do to avoid being the person who I'm supposed to be with the purpose that God intends for me. I'm just trying everything I can to block out God's purpose in my life. And that is suffering. It's a spiritual program. It's a spiritual malady. It's a spiritual battle. And I got the soapbox here, so I'm going for it. (laughs) So that word just stuck in my head. And so I said, yes, I would go to a meeting. And um, I said, oh, yes, I'll go to a meeting. Because, you know, I was so important that I was taking my time to go to a meeting with her. Because I had bigger things to do and better things to do. And I had people to invite over to dinner to binge with me is what I had to do. So um, so I went to a meeting in, uh, in the Valley at Sherman Oaks Hospital. And I just walked in so self-centered. I mean, I look back now and I know I was just so self-centered so worried about what other people were thinking, so afraid that somebody was going to think I was a compulsive overeater, (laughs) right? And thinking that nobody, I mean, just thinking, what a derelict place to go on a Sunday night. Like, what the heck? And then... This guy sat down and started talking about how he weighed 350 pounds and all about his drive-through escapades, our personal adventures before and after, how he would stop at Taco Bell on the way home, you know, have burrito, and that was my experience. I would stop at Taco Bell on the way home. It's right there on Woodley Avenue. I can I can get two burritos down, and I would eat only soft food on the way home because I could faster, right? Like the burritos, I can get into my mouth faster. I used to, you know, my abstinence. Okay, I'm just going to ramble a little bit. That's okay by me. So um, I also really love Jack in the Box. That's one of my favorite drive-thru places because they have deep-fried foods. I love tacos, and it's cheap, like two tacos for 99 cents. Beat that with a stick. You can't beat that. Two tacos for 99 cents, and I got a $10 bill in my purse, sister. I am having 10 tacos. That's the deal. That leaves me plenty of money to get an order of egg rolls and a hamburger. But I get the hamburger without lettuce because I have to wait for that stuff to cool off. When it gets out of that hot grease, it is way too hot, and I need that hamburger, and I don't want all that lettuce. It's just too much work. So that's the way it was, like before I was even pulled out. I'd go to one on a busy street so that I knew that I'd have to wait for traffic to stop going like this, and I'd pull up, and I'd open it up, and I'd open up all the boxes of the deep-fried food and let them breathe to get a little air in, and then I'd dig into my cheeseburger without the lettuce. (laughs) 
Oh, and a Diet Coke. is how I roll. Like that hamster in the key, right? That is how I roll. All is well. So Taco Bell literally is like a block from my house. I could get two burritos down, two grilled stuffed burritos, sour cream. Are you kidding? Uh, yeah, in three minutes. That's how I eat. And that's how I could eat. And then I go in and I'd be in suitable condition to cook for my family and put a healthy meal on. I don't know why. I thought I didn't eat that much. <laughs> so, okay. All right. So, anyway. So, Adam starts talking about his escapades in the drive-in. And you know what? That was indisputable evidence to me that, what, like, that's where the disease kicked in. Like, you don't belong here. You don't really belong here. I, I didn't know what I thought. I just thought, maybe I'll come back a second time. And that's what the message was. Just keep coming back. Just keep coming back. Maybe somebody will say something that you can identify with. Maybe somebody will say something that causes you to think differently. So it took me six months. I mean, I really, I because I thought I'm too busy for this program. I mean, I kind of got early on, this is going to be a big investment. You know, I could, I could see the people who came up and spoke at the podium I could see abstinent, I could see not abstinent, I could hear the difference in the voices, and I just started to discern after a few months that the people who had the kind of abstinence that I really was drawn to with my heart, I don't know if that makes sense, like I just, oh, such a relief to hear them. Um, they were very invested in this program, and I would go to the Darby office, and I would see on the wall, abstinence is the most important thing without exception. Well, first, I had a very good reason because God should be the most important thing without exception. See that, you know, I can't, I can't commit to this program because I already have a God. I believe in the God of the Bible, and that's big enough for me. Right? My God's big. I don't need a new God. And then I kind of hung around a while, and you know what? There, there is no real conflict there. Like, no conflict. Any God of my understanding would do the trick. And then I had to start thinking about, well, why wasn't the God of my understanding doing the trick for me? Because I was thanking that God for diet pills. Thank you, God, for diet pills. Thank you for these pills that help me live a normal life, you know? So then I started to feel some spiritual agitation and realized that without ever really committing to it, I was working the steps. Admitted, I was powerless over food. Powerless. I mean, if that's not powerless, what's powerless? And that my life was unmanageable. I didn't know that my life was unmanageable, thanks, until I walked into these rooms. Then I, then I quickly learned, you know, yeah, some people do it differently and they have a much better result. I remember the first time my husband told me that he was sick and I felt bad. Oh, because usually if my husband is sick, that's going to cause me some problems. Because right? he's not nice when he's sick. And he makes all that breathing noise anyway. You know, he's probably going to sit on the couch and want to watch his shows. Cock. You know. When he was sick, it was a pain in the neck for me. Me, 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 me. So, okay, another shift. Powerless over food. Life totally unmanageable came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. 
Well, okay, I believed in the power greater than myself, but sanity, I was sane. I was sane. I was perfectly sane. I was more sane than anybody I knew. I was so damn sane that I weighed 263 pounds on a regular basis. Not sane. Not sane. So, that step two became pivotal because when I realized that I'm insane, when I realized I'm sick, sick, it's not my fault. It's not a moral judgment. It's not a curse. It's not that I am weak or stupid, because none of us are weak or stupid. We are not, I mean, we've come this far burdened with a crippling disease and have survived, you know? I mean, if we're not survivors, I don't know who is. But realizing that it, it's, it, it was out of my hands. It was a disease like diabetes or cancer or um, meningitis or, you know, whatever. I have a big problem. And that maybe was kind of where, after about six months, I just realized I had a big problem. I have a big problem. I have a big problem. What am I going to do about this? I have a big problem. And then I realized I can't do anything. And um, I need help. I have to change. I have to change the way I view me food, my family, this program, but more than anything, I had to change the way that I view God, because I, I was a Pharisee, I believed in God, I was involved in a church, I was giving service, I was, I was, I was big, why was I big, I was large and in charge, and what that did was, really smack up against, did I believe that God could restore me to sanity? Did I believe that I could be abstinent? Three meals, two snacks, no deep-fried foods, no recreational sugar. Did I really believe that I couldn't do it? Did I really believe? And that was, you know, again, one of those points where God is either everything or he's nothing. So, step two, you know, I had to surrender to... Um, well, step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to take care of God as we understood him. And there was just that day where I just did that and I got a sponsor and I took direction. I mean, it really, it was a day. It was one day where I said, I'm, I'm going to take this direction. And, you know, I couldn't even, I couldn't even ask somebody. My girlfriend who brought me in had to ask me for my sponsor and she, she told me that I had to have, you know, three meals and one snack, and I cried. I started crying, and she said, okay, two snacks. It's okay. <laughs> and that's kind of how it goes, you know? And, I, and she said, and you have to, you can only weigh yourself once a month. <laughs> I, can't, I couldn't imagine being away from the scale. Like, are you kidding me? She's okay, once a week. So she was willing to compromise, and I appreciated that. Yeah. And um, I started working with a sponsor, and we just started doing what, you know, just started working the steps, whatever that looks like. It just didn't matter. She just said, you know, write, write, just write, just get it out, just write. And so that's what I started doing. I am, um, as I said, five and a half years of abstinence. I have, yeah, five and a half years of abstinence. I am still on step 12. You know, the way we're doing it is um, going through the AA and then going through the OA 12 and 12, one sentence at a time. Where am I going? I have the rest of my life, period. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be on step 12, and that is good enough for me. 
I have a, a whole list of projects in front of me, and things come up. And I do want to talk about this because um, this is something that was, I, I think, really important. I um, So when I decided to jump into the program, that was really it. Jump in, get your hair wet. Deep end, jump in the deep end, get your hair wet. Yeah, it's cold, okay? It's cold. Get in, get in the middle of the herd. Get surrounded by people. Ten minutes left. I can do this. I worried about, you know, what if I would find anything to talk about. That's funny in itself. But that was the decision that I made at that point where really, you know, step three came upon me was I'm in it. I'm in it for good. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in it for the long road. I am going to make abstinence the most important thing without exception in my life. And more important than my husband, more important than my children, more important than my job. Every day still, as of this day, starts out with the surrender of my food. Every day I have to say, God, please keep me abstinent. Every meal I say, God, thank you for this food. Please make it be enough to keep me abstinent. It's the most important thing in my life. Every day I wake up, and if I say, God, what do I need to do to get abstinent? Um, Usually it's the food. You know, I just have to plan my food and then go live my life. But I have to do the work that surrounds it. I have to look at my resentments. I have to look at my character defects. I have to take that inventory and be very honest about looking at the woman who I am today. And and I have to tell you, when I I remember doing that first inventory and the woman who I was compared to the woman who I am today, I'm so grateful that I'm not burdened with the with the weight of judgment and sloth and gossiping, um, that's who I was. That's you know those were the kind of things that took me away from God's purpose. If I was supposed to go to work and give a good day's work, and all I wanted to do was internet shop and gossip, that right? That was keeping me from my purpose. My purpose is to be there and do a good day's work. So there came a time last year, I worked for a really great organization, and I was worried about losing my job. Um, the economy was bad, and I'm in a, role, in a role that's really sensitive. If we're not hiring people, I am affected. I'm in human resources. I'm affected by that job, by that um, status. And so I became very burdened spiritually I was burdened by my work ethic. I just knew, because I'd been working these steps, that I was in fear about losing my job. And when I went to turn it over, what was my part? There was a lot of my part. There was a lot of things that I did at work that I shouldn't be doing. There were a lot of attitudes that I harbored, that I carried, and judgments that I walked around with that um, really were not... uh, in alignment with God's purpose in my life. And so... You know, as I've found oftentimes, I just, you know, in prayer said, God, you know, I pray before I do my writing. What what do I need to do here? And the answer came so quickly. Why don't you do a work inventory? Starting off when you were a babysitter up till now, why don't you look at your work and your character defects? And I got to look at all the people that I'd worked with and my relationships, and I got to just start writing and writing and writing. And what do you know? A life full of selfishness at work. A life full of wanting to do everything but the job that I was there to do. And being so smart that, you know, just kind of cramming it in and saying, oh, I work well under pressure. No, I don't. You know, I can get the job done. I was not the stellar employee that I thought I was. I was not a great employee. I was kind of a pain that, you know what? So I got to start writing and writing and magically not, because it's not magic. It takes work to stay abstinent. It takes work 
to, to get aligned with God every day. It takes work to stay on the OA beam. Um, I realized that I had lots of changes to make. And that is just the reverberating theme through this whole experience is I have to change. I have to change. I have to change the way I think. I have to change the way I act. But amazingly, if I'm in these rooms, I find the willingness to do that. And I don't know where that comes from. Sometimes I say, I'm five and a half years abstinent, and I don't know how that happened. And really, I know how it happened. I have reams and volumes of writing and writing and writing. And, you know, I have um, hours of conversations, tearful conversations, and, um, you know, having to admit my own faults and conversations with my husband and, you know, trying to get my relationships on a right path that I've learned here in these rooms. That is really hard. I would rather eat a bowl of ice cream. I really would. Rather bowl, did I say? <laughs> Come on. That's only when we have company. <laughs> It takes a lot of work to stay abstinent, but I don't know where I find the willingness. I don't know where that willingness comes from. I can't manufacture willingness. I don't wake up willing in the morning. I wake up a selfish, self-centered woman every single morning. Thankfully, I have indoctrinated the third step prayer. I wake up, I go, I turn up. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I turn off the alarm, and I say, you know, God, I offer myself to be. So, I mean, really, I say that, and thank goodness, that's kind of my default. But Adam, since I already outed him, I may as well out him again. He said, you know, it's kind of like his kids like um, Google as their platform, their default platform, and he likes Yahoo. And so when he goes to the computer and it's Google, he has to change the default setting to Yahoo. And that's, he said, and my default setting is asshole. So, <laughs> so I have to change my default setting. Every day when I get up, I am a selfish, self-centered woman. I want to live for me. I want to eat the way I want to eat. Even when I'm abstinent, even when I'm eating perfect food, I still want to do what I want to do. I want to drive what I want to drive. I want to wear what I want to wear. I want to fall back into vanity and judgment. I don't want to pick up dog poop. I don't want to sweep the kitchen floor. I don't want to clean the bathroom. I don't want to go shopping. I don't want to do any of those things that make my life so much easier. You know, I just, and I think that's, that's the, that's the core of gluttony, isn't it? I just want to love those dogs, but I want somebody else to feed them and wash them and keep up after them. I want to be a mom and I want gifts on Mother's Day, but I don't want to have to interact. (laughs) Right? I want to be married. I want to have, you know, a really good, cozy relationship, but I don't want to have to talk. I know. So I'm real because I'm selfish. I want to go read my book in the bedroom with my dog and a a big whatever. Well, you know, a big bowl of grapes or whatever. I just that's how much time do I have? Oh. Okay. So here's how it is now because this is a, actually a, um well you probably get an idea of how it is now. I think my husband would tell you that he got the better end of the deal. You know, even though it's so nasty to him sometimes. I just laugh at him. You know, he does stuff like that. Go get the gun and shoot me. I laugh at him. And I come out into the living room and, you know, he's like laying on the couch. I'm like, move over. I need to read my book. He's like, oh. I've just been so bossy to him now. But we have a relationship that because of these steps, you know, 
in here, we learn to take those inventory and to admit to God and to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. When we've admitted the exact nature of our wrongs and people like us anyway, we're good to go. Good to go. Good to go. Get in the car. Go somewhere together. You know, I don't have to worry about what I say. I don't have to hide what I say, and he doesn't either. That's the deal. I I think he would say that he got the better end of the stick. Um, I had no idea when I came in here how much time I was going to have to give. I don't have to. How much time I would give to this program. Thank you, God. I guess I'm running out of time, huh? (laughs) God says. And, um... Get in the middle of the herd, give service, take a position, call people, get sponsees, live my life in the middle of the herd. That's it. Thanks for letting me share.